Thanks to Dave and this crew up here, uh, Rush got sick last night and they jumped in. I know that even happened in the back. Thanks for all of you that, uh, with Rodney and some of them just jumping in and, and uh, I love it when people just step up and step into something, even if it freaks them out, they're scared. I do that every week. I'm scared to death. You staring at me up here. We're looking at 1 John for a few more weeks called This is Living. It's a study of 1 John, but it is not a complete study of each verse. Thank God for our small groups. If you want to be a part, Brent already said, you can still be a part because we can dig a little deeper and talk about things. And uh, I love that. John is the writer of the Gospel of John. We're going to look at that in the fall, it looks like. So it's going to be really cool. We'll come back to what he wrote about Jesus because he did that. He talked about Jesus um, in the Gospel of John, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, he shared all these wonderful things about Jesus. Remember, he started the book off, we looked at last week, and said to his people that he loves, the, he's pastoring this group of folks, and they have been caught up into some of the philosophy, philosophies, religious ideas of the day. They've been pulled out. Some have left the church, left the faith. Some are discouraged and, and down. All these things are going on, and this pastor cares about his people like we care about you. And it kind of makes him, I think, I kind of get the tone that he's a little upset about it. It's bothering him. He's angry. He's hurt. He cares about these people, but he wants them to be reminded about Jesus. That's one of his priorities. And he starts off the first chapter. Remember, he said, listen, you guys, you, you know I've been telling you for years. Maybe you read my, my paper that I wrote about Jesus. I've seen him, touched him. I've been there in everything. You know, I added like tasted stuff with him. I've, I've experienced life with him, not just life like something sensory, but life. He experienced something in his heart, in his life. It, be, it was real. It was, it was the real deal. And he, he tells his people, do you remember what we've been talking about? Some of them probably for years. What are you doing? Why can someone just come in, pull you out, cause you to doubt, and run away from the very thing that you've been living for? But it happens. 2,000 years later, it's no different, is it? It happens all the time. Some of you may be here today. You're doubting. You've listened to something, and it sounds way better than what we're talking about. That happens all the time with kids and adults. John doesn't like seeing his people hurt like that. It seems that it's caused a big split in the church, and uh, it's bothering him, so he writes this letter to his people to tell them how much he loves them, God loves them, and remind them of some things. When you read the whole letter, I hope you've been doing that. It's an easy one to read, but there's a lot packed in there. You'll notice that he just seems to keep going around in circles. You know, some of you say, well, that sounds like you speaking on Sunday, Ron. <laughs> he's like a pastor just muddling through all this stuff, you know. It's like he's writing and he's just, oh man, and then something's like, to me, it's like making him mad, and then he, but I love you guys, remember that God loves you, and then the next chapter later, I love you guys, and God loves you, and then the next chapter, love is just this prominent thing in there, and he keeps coming back to it, it's good. He says a lot of things in there, stuff we can't all hit today. Chapter two brings up the antichrists and the Holy Spirit, stuff we're not even going to touch on. We're going to come back to those things as we look through other scriptures and series, but, but there's a lot packed into this letter. A lot of things to be reminded of for each one of us. It's really good if you'd read it on your own. And again, if you're part of a small group, we'll talk about chapter two this week. One of the things that he's 
upset about is the people being deceived and how it had impacted their obedience to God. So it changed how they acted. So suddenly they're really into following God, obeying him, and now they aren't anymore, and it's bothering him a lot. Their walk, you'll see these words in there, their walk, their living in God, and their love for one another was changed. Suddenly they're not living in, they're not walking with God anymore. They've forgotten how much he loves them, and one of the biggies is that they are not loving one another. They are not loving one another the way that John had been telling them for years that we can read even today. The Gospel of John is filled with that kind of talk. The life of Jesus and how he loved the Father, but how he loved the people. John, as the pastor and shepherd under Christ, the great shepherd, it's interesting in here, some of the language is stern and strong. It can, it can cause us to get a little maybe like you know, pushed and poked at, it seems that he expects the church to exhibit the real presence of Christ to one another and in the world. Do you think that's a good expectation to have? Like, oh, you should act like Christians. <laughs> what? We don't have to do that nowadays. It's easier just to talk about it, huh? But here's John going, you know what, I'm writing to you some pretty strong stuff. I expect you to act like you follow Jesus. Now, I think we should expect ourselves, one another, right? But there is a world out there, whether they agree with us or not, I don't know what expect, but we should be acting like we say we do, according to what God's word says. And uh, when they don't like it, at least we're doing something that we talked about last week. We're remaining faithful. So last week I asked you, do you want to be successful or faithful? Now I want both. But faithful trumps, ooh, I just said the president's name in the service. That was weird, huh? Like some of you are already mad now. Now you're mad. It, faithful if, if you're going to pick one, stay faithful to God if you're a follower of Christ. Stay faithful to him. Because successful with the wrong motivation will cause us to do things to please people and to gain things for ourselves. So, John was not successful in maybe the world's eyes or the church's eyes because of a split and all this stuff going on. But one thing we see about John is he was faithful. That's an important thing to remember. So what John does is he confronts the philosophies, the deceivers. He calls them liars. He just calls them out antichrists of the day that are splitting the church and even more destroying the hearts of the people. So the church getting split, that's one thing. But when your heart, when you see the brokenness of followers of Christ and what the world can do to us if we follow its philosophies and ideas more than we follow Christ, that, that's, that's not good. John, it upsets him. Now, one of the things that we want to look at today, the main focus, is obedience, rules. Ooh, right there, some of you are like, yeah, I don't follow the rules. We do what we want to do. You know, already, again, what kind of tension does it bring up for you? Every religion has rules. I went to an Assemblies of God school, 
And we all, the Assemblies of God, that denomination had rules, some of them unwritten, some of them written. But I remember going down, I went down to Southern California, Costa Mesa. We were the liberal Assemblies of God school because we didn't follow the rules because we wore the big rule. The big, the big unwritten one was we wore shorts to class. That's some going to hell stuff right there, huh? <laughs> the rest of the nation, the assemblies have got, sh they wear shorts out there in Southern California. You're right, we do. Proudly. Okay? Uh, so when we talk about this, I'm going to bring up some things, but obedience rules for a lot of us will bring up guilt. One of the things that John will address a couple times, and I think is a biggie in the world today, I've been reading some stuff on this, and it's good for me, is shame. Like you feel ashamed, and people shame you. Um, obedience and rules bring that up. And the big, big one probably is, especially concerning religion, am I in or am I what? Out. Like am I in with God or am I out? So there's a lot of different breakdowns of rules in the world. I listened to some uh, teaching from Andy Stanley that talked about rules that was great, so I stole some stuff from him. He had some categories of uh, rules. I added to it, and the first thing that I added to actually was, you know this unwritten rules of society and life? Some of you might think of some right now. Unwritten rules, rules of society. There's unwritten rules about shopping how to dress. Like this morning, I actually was so worried a little bit about, because I, I, I took out some older jeans. Like we have unwritten rules in the church right now that like dress code is jeans for journey and plaid shirts. <laughs> Did you notice that? Remember that last week, right? It's not, it's not, but flannels. And suddenly I pulled out, these are older jeans. And now I'm worried, like, does the color match? Like these are unwritten rules that like, what does a, can a 53-year-old dress this way? What about, like, tucking my shirt in? Can I do, like, you start, are these two, are the legs straight enough? Are they, you guys, does anybody connect with this? Great, like, one person in the back, too. Thank you. I get a haircut this week. Can I change styles? I've been doing this for a long time, man. You know, do, and then sometimes those unwritten rules, they, they, am I, are they looking at me? Like, they know I'm this old. And like, they should, they're probably saying right now, like, you should not dress like that. You should not be wearing those. Is it the right kind of belt? Can I, you know, all this stuff that comes up. Now I'm really embarrassed because I don't think you guys are really connecting, huh? There's gym rules, work rules, Driving rules, like we all know, there's a fast lane and a slow lane. Okay? If you're in the fast lane, what side is the road is the fast lane on? The left. Hey, you right driving side people, stay over there. We want to go. I mean, these are rules, right, that are unwritten. They're not laws. I get, I struggle going in the coffee shop sometimes, because you're like, I, I don't know, what's a latte? I don't, what? I just want some coffee with some cream in it, and then you hear like the language, and you feel stressed out just ordering a coffee, but there's rules in there. There's, there's uh, traveling rules. I'm going to fly this week. Uh, Brent and I are going to a conference. There's like, on a plane, there is like space rules, right? 
please, if you're on the seat behind me, do not stick your shoeless foot in the cracks of the seat. Is that not an unwritten rule? So some of you stop it. Just stop, okay? I don't, I know you're trying to save a few bucks, but please don't bring a tuna sandwich on the plane. Am I wrong there? Is there something? You know, if you're going down the, the, the moving sidewalks, it's the same thing on the road. Like I said, you stay to your right, or I will run you over with my body and my bag, of course. There's other rules, you know, that we create, holding doors, and, you know, I've, I've mentioned some all over. I read, I, I'm not good with, like, texting, emojis, when can you and can't you? Some of you don't even know what an emoji is, huh? Good, don't, don't get into that. I suddenly learned uh, yesterday that there are one, two, three, four, five, six ways to use ha- on, like when you're laughing at something, there's ha, ha ha, ha ha ha, ha 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 plus, ha ha with cap, all caps plus, and then there's LOL, laugh, the laughing out loud thing, right? And there's rules with those. I think they're really stupid, but <laughs> now I'm worried. What I sent somebody yesterday, and now they're probably offended and mad at me. No wonder they didn't write me back, because I just use ha. And that means that I didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> There's rules on Facebook, and I guess if you wear headphones in public, you, it's, it's the sign that you don't want to talk to me. Is that correct? <laughs> Ruined that one a few times. There was best friend rules. If you, like, uh, the way they, if I kick a balloon right now, you are obligated now to keep it in the air with me. There's, like, if I start singing a song and point at you, you're supposed to pick it up right where I left off. I don't know these things, but they're unwritten rules. But the biggest one is for today, an unwritten rule. It's called the nacho rule. Do you know that? Some of you do, huh? This should be law. Today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might make some nachos today. Got to break out of my diet thing. Anybody else going to make nachos? Good. Nachos are very godly, especially with masses of amounts of cheese all over them, right? In the oven, cooked meat on there and stuff like that. All right. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. So, but I need to tell you this nacho rule is applied when two or more chips are stuck together because of the cheese, you know? You understand this, what I'm saying? When I pick up a nacho... And let's say there's like seven chips attached to it because of the cheese. The rule is that that is one nacho. <laughs> Do you understand that? So if we are splitting nachos, you have no right, according to law, God's law, to be mad at me. Okay? So you, looking at me, would say, those five chips are all stuck together. And I would say yes, but the nacho rule states that it's only one nacho. Amen. Thank you. So you can use that today, all right? There are uh, unwritten rules. There is the club model of rules, maybe employee, employer, that would work, but 
think about this with me, and we'll get to some scripture here in a minute. You're like, just come on, Ron. Okay? I'm going somewhere with this, but there's a club mentality of rules that's important for us to understand that asks us to accept the rules and be o- obedient to them before we can join. I'm in when I say I will keep to the rules. So many of you are parts of different clubs or organizations where, hey, if I keep the rules, then I can be a part of the club. And that model comes into play, and just even to to jump ahead in what we're thinking, a lot of times the church has acted like that. And then what we do with that is we apply it to God. Am I in or out based upon that I keep the rules before I'm part of the the group, the gang, the, the family? So there is that club model. If you break the rules in that, that model, then you're out. Like a neighborhood, there's even kind of a mix of both. Anybody part of associations? Yeah. Even in my, my area, they tell me what color I'm allowed to paint my house, whether I can pull trees and stuff out of my own yard, whether I can have an, you know, above ground pool in the front yard or not. how many cars I can put out on the road, whether I can have a trailer or motor. You you know what I'm talking about. Now, they can't necessarily kick me out of the neighborhood, but have you ever had any neighbor problems? Anybody? (laughs) We just say, I'll paint my house what I want to. I think hot pink looks good on the house. Uh, But then there's the family model a family model of rules. So we're born into a family. We are part of that family. And then rules, maybe even sometimes depending on our age or just how the family kind of works, are created around that. But whether we obey the rules or not, in general, doesn't mean, you know, we are are not a part of the family. We're We're still a part of the family. So when I was born... My parents didn't pull out a list and say, before you can be a Swanton, you need to, you know, sign off on these rules that you will obey them or you're out. It's the family model. Rules are there because I'm part of the family. Now, what comes to mind for you? What does that do for you? What, what kind of gets stirred up in you when you hear these things? Forget the nachos for a minute. What model comes to mind for you that you've been a part of in life? Because this even impacts relationships, right? A lot of times even unwritten rules. Broken relationship because you did not keep the rules. And some of them you didn't even know it was a rule in the first place. And if, you, if you've had that experience with the church, please forgive me as a pastor. That you felt that before you could be a part, and we should never act like this. This is what John brings up to a little bit. For you to come in here and not feel like you can be a part because you didn't keep some unwritten rules. 
is disgraceful to us. Not you, to us. Forgive me if we've ever done that to you. Because that's not God. What comes to mind for you? What does God maybe for you? Like, what does he expect of you? What do you think about that? Let me just say, God established relationship first. Rules then came. Rules of trust and faith to give us what he calls a full, abundant life. But one of our big thoughts today is this, and we'll read 1 John chapter 2 if you want to go there, starting with verse 3, is this, obedience implies relationship. Obedience implies relationship. That's where this all starts. Obedience and what we talk about concerning that in rules today says there's a relationship that's there. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. The scripture's on the screen. Most of them are today. You can also go right to your Bibles. 1 John's all the way towards the back, right before Revelation. So get all the way back to the back of the Bible there, and uh, you'll see these verses. We're going to dig in deeper in our small groups, but here's some of the stuff that we want to look at for today. And we can be sure, John writes to his people, these people, he's shepherding and loves. He says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. There we go, obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person, look at what he says to his people. He doesn't mess around. That person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Man, that is a big, bold, strong statement. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely, that's a beautiful word there too as well, completely. There's something, you know, all encompassing about it. Complete, it's, it's all there, I like that. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Not partially, completely they love him. That is how we know, we'll come back to that in a little bit too, that is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God, he kind of repeats himself, should live their lives as Jesus did. He adds a little bit to, to that as well. Obedience implies relationship. Obedience to God implies a relationship with God. He says, if you say, I know him, or you say, I'm in him, or that I live in the light he'll bring up, then you are saying that you have a relationship with him and he with you, and obedience comes out of that. So God is already, John is kind of reassuring the people, listen, and going against what they were being told. That obedience doesn't matter, that God doesn't matter, all these kind of things. He is saying relationship is first. God wants to have a relationship with you, and that obedience should come from that relationship. Now, let me take it way back just for a minute. Again, we're going to have to dig a little deeper in small groups and other places. You read on your own. Before even the Ten Commandments, there was relationship first, trust and faith. Go all the way back to the beginning. When God even lays some things out with Adam and Eve, relationship was established first. 
we can go to the Ten Commandments right out of the gate. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Real quickly, we're not going to read all of them, but he says, to his people, as he's establishing, remember, he's already created a relationship with Moses, the people of Israel. We don't want to get into that whole big story, but he's already building a relationship, bringing them out. Then he brings in these Ten Commandments and laws and guidelines and rules and all this stuff. And he starts off even the Ten Commandments and he says, you must not have any other God but me. That's relationship. He'll even start out that chapter in 20 and he says, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must have no other God but me. Trust me, have faith in me. What I ask you to do from this point on is because I love you and I have a relationship with you, establish that. That's foundational. That was being questioned to the people that John was shepherding and pastoring. And John was coming back and saying, don't listen to that garbage. Relationship. God loves you. Trust him. Have faith in him. He's not giving you rules so that you can have a relationship. You already got it. That's important. God uses the family model. This is important for us to understand. Have no other gods. The Ten Commandments, one pastor said, I thought it was a, a really beautiful little statement, were a confirmation, not a condition of relationship. So, let, just, let me repeat it again. The Ten Commandments were if you keep these, I'll love you. Now, a lot of us have that kind of relationship with God, whether we even sometimes want to admit it or not. Like, you wonder if God loves you. You know why? Because you broke the rules this week. You blew it already. And now you go, God could not love me. And I would say, no, he loves you. He created these things because he wants to give you he wants you to have the full abundant life that he speaks of. So these things became a confirmation of, not a condition of relationship. It's very important for us to understand. God says to us, you don't deserve it, but you are mine. <laughs> I think he looks at me like that a lot. Ron? Man. You do not deserve all this, but you're mine. I love you. You're mine. But God, look what I did to you again. I know. You're just damaging the life that I want to give you. But you are not damaging the love that I have shown you. Ah, that's so important for some of us today. Because you feel like you've blown it so much that God could not love you. And you are willing to abandon your faith because it's just not working out. God uses the family model. It's more than just knowing about God too. So remember, this is not about seeing how smart you can be concerning God. And that's what the people were presenting at that day. Gnosticism and other things were coming up. Knowing about God and knowing God, they're different. We, as your pastors, and, and John shares with his people, and ultimately 
Jesus, our great pastor and shepherd, he wants you to experience him, not just know things about him. And obedience comes out of that heart of knowing him, not just knowing some stuff about him. I like what Adrian Rogers said concerning that. He said, study the Bible to know about God, obey the Bible to really know God. This is obedience that leads to life and flourishing. But real quickly, think about with me, there's a lot more to this that we could dig into at another time, but please read this stuff during the week. But what stops me from obeying? John brings some stuff up. One, it may cost me. To obey God, it's gonna cost us something. What does it cost me? Sometimes, and John will speak of it in various ways, it's going to cost some freedom. It's going to put boundaries about things that I do or don't do. I'm going to have to make choices concerning what I can and can't, cannot do. But it's not based upon the fact that, that he's going to love me more because I do or do not do that. It's because I want to have the full abundant life that he has available for me. It's going to cost me. The world's idea of how we should operate today is obey and love as long as it doesn't take away my freedom and enjoyment. That's what the world tells us. And that does not bring the type of life that God has available to you. That doesn't even, I don't think, bring, it may bring success for a period of time, but it does not bring success that God looks at, and it does not help you be faithful. So it may cost me something. I may need to put boundaries around my life, not because God will love me more because I made those boundaries, but because then I can experience the full life that he has for me. So things I do or don't do, things I look at or don't look at, whatever. We often are hindered from obeying too because it's often used as a tool of manipulation and control and mainly by us as pastors. So I get up here and I condemn you and shame you into following God being better, doing more, often it could come into, if you'll just give more money in those boxes back back there by the back doors, God is going to, I won't say it this way, but I will imply it. I will manipulate and try to control you that way. Man, God's going to just, he's going to bless you beyond belief. You know that car you wanted? Give more in those boxes. You're going to get it. (laughs) If you ever hear me saying that kind of stuff, I want to say just walk up here, slap me and walk out, but I don't know, that's probably a little too extreme right then, all right? I know if people carry in here, you might be taken down before that happens. But. <laughs> Saying. Uh, but listen, some of you are hurt because people in authority have used a God who loves you first but they've used their authority to manipulate and control you to get you to do things that not that God wants you to do, but that I want you to do. And it's wrong. And John is tired of that. He's warning his people. He'll call some of them, again, deceivers, antichrist. They're anti-God, anti-Jesus because they're doing stuff like that. Forgive us And may God heal your hurts from that kind of experience that you have had. I think often it's misunderstood. So obeying comes from a misunderstanding of God's word. And then we have this misunderstanding, and then it creates in us, am I in or out with God? Do you ever feel like that? I think I'm out this week. I'm out. I'm out with God. 
messed up again and again and again, and he does not like that. I'm out. Then next week, you read your Bible a little more. You did put something in the box, and I'm in. I'm in, man. I'm in. This month, I went to church four Sundays in a row. I am so in. I make light of it, but truthfully, is there anyone here that starts to just, you just start feeling that way? I do. Listen, it is February. I'm still doing my one-year Bible. I haven't hit Leviticus yet, but I'm nailing this, man. I'm nailing it. It's going to be tough when I hit Leviticus. Some of you are like, I don't even know what Leviticus is, man. I don't. But if we keep it up, we're in, right? Read the Bible. Every day for an entire year, I am in with God. He loves me so much. He must look at me with compassionate eyes and think I am the greatest in the world. You know what? I think he does, but it isn't because I read my Bible in a year. Because he looks at you the same way. And you may go, Ron, I, you don't know what I've done. I don't. He does. And I still think, believe, according to his word, the truth is that he loves you. Because it's relationship first with him. Sometimes we misunderstand it. Burge, one of the, the scholars wrote concerning this tension, that uh, personal righteousness and obedience are an essential component of our faith and yet do not form the basis of our salvation. Ooh. That can create tension in some real... Bible scholars sometimes. What? No, no, it's connected to salvation. And it's an essential component of our faith. But the basis of my salvation is Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for my sins. Because if I start thinking it's not, then I start thinking that I have a part to play other than just surrendering my life to him. These are components, obedience, righteousness are essential components of our faith, yet do not form the basis of our salvation. Romans 3.22, like many other places, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. All of you out there today. Obedience, rules, these things come out of that for a reason that God has for us. We must balance between obedience and grace, both. We must call one another to live lives that show how grace has transformed us. So there's part of me, if I truly believe all this, then this grace, this love, and these rules, this obedience, this is transforming my life. But he's the one that saved me, loves me unconditionally. The other thing that John says in there in this letter, he says that sometimes we don't obey very well because there are other cravings that can distract me. He says this in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, these few verses. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. And those things, man, they push us thinking that we have a, you know, like we did it. We pleased him in some way like that. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Wow, what a beautiful set of verses. 
Sometimes I don't obey because I can get sidetracked and distracted. That's why I set boundaries. Because I understand the seduction of sin and what it can do to me. And I often think of ways of like feeling and immediate satisfaction. And so John says, don't think that way. Think long term. I like it. God, John says, I think we can see throughout scripture is he thinks long term. So some, here's, here's why I say this. Some of you think right now what's going on in your life is because the sin that you committed is there. Now, there can be a reason for that because there's practical, uh, you know, uh, complications, there's practical implications because of our sin, yes. But sometimes something happens and we don't understand it. And what we go to right away is that I blew it, so God is punishing me. And we look at how we see things, we, we look at it in an immediate perspective right now. And then we go by our feeling. So it could be like, God's mad at me because yesterday I didn't do this or I did that. Now, I don't know all of God's ways. He does and does what he wants to do because he looks at things long term. So he knows about Ron Swanson. He knows right now, but he also knows way, way down the road, right? So when I do certain things, I don't go by my feelings and what I'm doing immediately necessarily. They're, they're, they can be good, one person said windows, but they're not good doors, feelings are. Listen, I, I got to think long term, John says, because God may be wanting to do something, but what it looks like right now isn't very fun, but I think long term that he has my best interest in mind for my whole life. And if you look at it from just the feeling and immediate thing, and people do that to us all the time, we got caught up then in doing things for and to God and one another that are just based upon getting rid of that feeling for a moment, or I got to do this and then they'll like me more, or if you understand what I'm saying, we try to restore a relationship. I, I get this. By, by, oh, if I just do this right now, they'll like me more and then everything will be fine, you know? And so I got to think like long term to what God is doing. So, what does it look like just to wrap up with obedience and practice? What does John tell us? One, uh, Brent's going to talk about this in a couple weeks, so we will not dig into this. But one is obedience expresses itself through love. Look at what John says. It's going to come back over and over again in every chapter. First John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. This chapter that we're looking at today says this. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment. He's telling his people. He's calling them friends. Remember, he calls you like them little children. He, he loves these people. I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you have had from the very beginning. So this has been around... All eternity with God, this, <clears throat> you've had from the very beginning, this old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Why did he say that? Well, one thing is he wrote about it when he wrote about Jesus in the book of John, the gospel of John. He says it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I'm living in the light, 
but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So one of the ways that obedience is fleshed out, lived out, it's so simple, right? And yet so hard at the same time is we better be loving one another. We better be loving one another. John says to his people, you have listened to other philosophies and ideas. They have categorized people. They've made some of themselves even higher than you. They put, you know, in certain social structures and they do not love one another. But if you're going to say that you follow Jesus, one of the greatest ways, because he's our example, one of the greatest things you're going to do is love Love. Why would he say that too? Because ultimately, right, obedience is relational. So it's going to go a long way that way. And God loves you. Obedience in practice expresses itself in love. Jesus, you don't have to go here, but multiple times Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says to the people concerning the law and obedience and rules, he says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love one another. You say you're in the light, you say you're doing this, then you better be loving one another. John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. And then he says in the end of that verse, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Obedience expresses itself in love. Love for God, love for each other. John says in there, when we don't do that, what does it cause other people, what, what, what does it cause others you know, to, to do, to happen? It says it causes them to stumble. When we don't obey and love, we can cause other people to stumble, and we continue the splintering of the church. It paralyzes our mission, who we're all about. He also says this, that not only does obedience kind of flesh itself out in love, but he says obedience remains faithful to what you know to be true. We talked about the successful faithful perspective. In verse 24, he says, you must remain faithful, John writes to the people in chapter 2, you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Again, faithful versus successful. Faithful, faithful obedience can be a safeguard to remaining in the truth. So, when you move forward, there's going to be times when the world's going to want to distract you, steer you away, pull you away, take you away. You're going to want to go away because you think you need to do more, what, whatever comes up for you. But I will challenge you to, 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 to remain faithful to what God has called you to do. Some of us from the beginning, we know what the truth is. Stick with it, even if it's painful and it hurts. Even if you need to set boundaries to keep you on task, on track, it is worth it. Remain faithful. John says, you guys, you're, you're bailing on things that from the very beginning you know to be true. Things about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for you. You're not loving one another. Why? Why wouldn't you remain faithful? You know this is real and true. You know what I've been sharing with you. We want to help one another with that.
with that. He also says in there that obedience then is remaining faithful and loving, but it also, he says, provides the assurance of relationship. 1 John 2, the last couple verses, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. And then this verse says, since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children, God's children relationship. No, I know, it's assurance. When I obey, John is telling his people and us today, it gives me confidence and courage and it combats shame. Those of you that are dealing with shame today, so many of us, if not maybe all of us in some form, it comes and goes maybe. He's telling us, remain faithful and obey and it'll give you courage and confidence and it combats and goes against the shame that you're gonna feel. Keep going, keep it up, keep walking in the light. But I blew it, get back up again, let's do this. Whatever it is, this gives us courage, he says, causes us not to shrink back from him in shame. Obedience and holiness become an imperative fueled not by fear of jeopardy, but by a heartfelt response to the security that God's love gives us to his love and grace displayed through Christ. Listen, I obey and I want to be holy and it becomes something that's fueled again, not by fear that God's going to kill me, punish me, but it's a heartfelt response to his love that he's given me. So John is reminding his people of that because the enemy wants you to doubt this. The enemy out there, the Bible teaches us, wants you to shrink back in shame. Wants you to be ashamed of yourself. Wants you to look at yourself and go, you're no good. See, you do bad things. You are evil. Do you ever have those kind of conversations with yourself? We probably all do in some way. The stories you're telling yourself right now in your head are not stories of the truth. They're stories of the enemy that are shaming you into running away and following someone else or something else. John says, don't listen to that. Remain faithful to God and his word. And by doing that, by being obedient, it's gonna continue to perpetuate the assurance you have in him. We need that. You know how many times I need you to remind me and I wanna remind you through various forms. I pray that my small group does that, that we do that with one another, that we do that in our marriage relationships and families and stuff like that. The moment you start doing that self-talk that I'm no good, man, I, you know, I'm a horrible person. Somehow with others and God's spirit and all this that John speaks of just comes into our life and says, no, you're not. You are a, what does John say? You're a child of God. You may be done a bad thing, but you are not a bad person. 
May God, may God help some of you today. Because you think that you are so horrible that you sit here today and long for something that you don't think is available to you. And John is telling his people, it's available to everyone. Pagan religions, it's no different today, try to appease and please the gods. But you know what? You never really knew where you stood or know where you stand with them. No relationship or personal knowledge. Just trying to appease them to avoid pain and displeasure. And some of you may be living with God like that. And John is attacking that, saying, you can know, you can know, you can know, he says. Obey because you can know. And then finally, it's this, the worship team can come. Obedience finds its foundation in Jesus. So I, I obey, not just because of some good idea or because I know about him, I obey because of Jesus. So John wrote in there, listen, you want an example? You don't know what to do? You, don't, you want to know how to live, how to love properly? Live like Jesus. He's your role model. Jesus is your role model. Jesus will even say, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though rains come, torments, floodwaters, all these things happen, winds beat against that that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. It's built on Christ. But anyone who doesn't obey, doesn't follow, here's my teaching and doesn't obey, it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains, floods, winds, and all that come, the house is going to collapse with a mighty crash. That's a beautiful picture. I don't know about so beautiful. <laughs> it's a picture of our lives, isn't it? What is your obedience built on? Let me come back to this. God uses the family model. God uses the family model, not a club model. He doesn't have all these unwritten rules where you gotta go, oh man, I wore pants today and they're not, they're not straight enough or they're not, I didn't wear the right thing to church and I wore a hat or Ron, well, Ron's shirt is untucked, it must be okay, I don't know. You know, and am I in or out? God uses the family model. Obedience and relationship, relationship before rules. Rules are a confirmation of, not a condition of, a relationship with God. God gives the rules to those in relationship, unlike the philosophies and stuff of the day. Wow, what does that say about grace and mercy, about God? discipline then, if I look at it this way, it's not to pay me back. I hope you hear this, because we need discipline once in a while, don't we? I do. But when I believe these things about God, then discipline is not to pay me back, it's to bring me back. Some of you think it's to pay you back. God is punishing you. But God wants, because of this relationship, to bring you home. If you know the story of the prodigal son, he's the father with open arms. His son is coming home. No rules. They party. My son has come home. Do you believe this? Hey, Journey, do you believe this? 
Or do you think you have to work your way into the family? John tells us that the relationship is available to all mankind as the worship team continues to play or starts playing. Just Would you think about this with me? He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins, I read this to say this, of all the world. Obedience for each one of us only works with Jesus. So John tells us, he does in his gospel a couple times, he says, here's the prerequisites. Here's what you do. He says uh, in the gospel of John, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He didn't say, hey, let me remind you, you got to believe when you do and accept him, he'll give you the right to become the club. He said the children of God. So the prerequisite is, do you believe this? Do you believe him? The other thing, real quickly, if you'd stand with me, we're going to take communion and sing a song and head out. But he says, John writes this about abiding in him. So multiple times in the scripture he says, live, live in him, walk in the light, live in him, in him, know him. And uh, he'll say, you know, the words of Jesus when he writes in John 15, he says, yes, I'm the vine. Jesus says, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So one of the things that we're going to practice moving forward is what does it look like for us to abide in him, walk in him, live in him? Well, he says... We read it. You believe this. That's a question you got to ask yourself today. Then he says, accept this. That's the second thing. And then he says, it's available to all of you, wherever you're at today. The whole world, it's available to him. And when you do that, then he says, walk, abide in the light in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you have been doing it apart from him. You need to come back into the light, walk with him. Because John wrote to us in that letter and he said, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. You want to know how to live for God? Live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. And uh, just continue that relationship with him. Do you believe this? And so, Father, today, as we come to you, I don't know what kind of model... Man, all of our folks here are following. But God, you are one of a family model. Relationship first. You love us. We've learned that today again, heard it again today. Thank you for that love. If there's someone here today that thinks that they got to start off and try to appease you or you're punishing them, try to get them back, you know, and then they're trying to work their way into heaven or into a relationship with you. God, what a lie of the enemy. I pray that you just, you know, destroy that that thought that they're telling themselves in their head and that somehow they receive the idea, the knowing, the understanding that you love them. God, then may all of us understand too your long-term perspective. You discipline, you correct, you provide these rules, you want obedience not to punish us, 
but to give us the full abundant life. And then sometimes it's to bring us back home, not to drive us away. Thank you for all that. And thank you for Jesus that we celebrate today. The Jesus who lived a life, gave us the example, gave us the beautiful picture of love by the sacrifice for our sin on the cross. Then he was in the grave, and then he arose to life, and he gives us that possibility of new life as well. Thank you for all that and what we celebrate today through communion. In Jesus' name, amen.